Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Well, good morning, City of Refuge. Uh, I wanted to just real quick echo something that Johnny talked about, which is the, the Sabbath guide. Uh, first, I want to say a huge thank you to all of those who helped contribute for that. Um, Deborah and Andrew Sonata, Anna Lee, uh, Aaron Trailer. I may be missing someone, but uh, it was really a lot of work by several of our members that went into that, and I really want to thank them for doing that. And also wanted to let you know that if you are wanting to utilize the guide, there are printed copies on the table back there, so you can grab one of those as you leave. Uh, there also will be a digital version available. We're going to try and make that available on the website, so I wanted to let you know about that. So I remember several years ago, I was driving on my way home. So my family, we live out kind of in the southwest side of town, and I was sitting at the light right there at West Belfort and Gessner. And I was watching the light, wetting it to turn green, which is a good thing to do while you're driving, is paying attention to the lights. But I had this moment where I looked behind the light. And there was this spectacular sunset in the sky. And you know, I'd been driving for about 20 to 25 minutes at this point. That was the first moment when I saw it. This absolutely beautiful Texas sunset. Now, I know that the sun was setting in other places at the same time, but we all know that it's the most beautiful in Texas. And this was a beautiful Texas sunset that I almost missed. I had been paying attention to the stop signs and the stoplights and the buildings and the other cars. Again, all very good things to do while you're driving, but I had just about missed this beautiful sight. And in that moment, I was reminded of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. And I recognized in that moment that this beautiful Texas sunset was there declaring the praise and the glory of God and I hadn't been paying attention, and that it was now calling me to worship. Um, can you put the, the picture up? So several weeks ago, uh, NASA released a bunch of new pictures 
from the, the Webb telescope. I don't know if we are able to get that up or not. Okay, it's not coming up. Well, there was one picture in particular, I'll just describe it to you, that really stood out to me because it just sort of looked like space with a bunch of points of light, similar to when you would look up at the sky, right? But what was unique and amazing about this particular picture was that every single point of light that was on that picture wasn't just a star, it was individual galaxies, hundreds of them maybe thousands of them visible in this picture. Now, I'm a little bit of, well, just a nerd in general, but space stuff I really love. Like, I, I, I think it's so cool. And this was striking just to see all of these, these galaxies because so we are, are we're in this, the Milky Way, and the Milky Way has people estimate between 100 and 400 billion stars in our galaxy. One, I think it's amazing that there's that kind of range. Like, that's a huge range. We don't know if it's 100 billion or 400 billion. <laughs> but that's a lot of stars. And we're looking at and seeing these galaxies that are additional hundreds of billions of stars. Now, to give some perspective of the vastness of this, the closest star to our sun is 4.2 light years away. So it would take light four years to travel from our sun to the nearest star. It takes about eight minutes for light to travel from the sun to the earth. It gives you a sense of how far away the nearest star is to us. And there are between 100 and 400 billion stars just in our galaxy. That's just vast. Like, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of standing on the ocean, by the ocean, and it just feeling very, very small. When I think about that kind of size, I get that same feeling. The heavens are declaring the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork because the God we serve made all that. He spoke all of that into existence. Day after day, these things are pouring out speech and night after night is revealing knowledge about how huge and awesome and creative and amazing God is. And I think that this text then asks us the question, are we listening? Are we paying attention? Creation is trying to act like our worship leader are we listening? And if you're like me, I had to realize I'm not very good at listening, right? I'm sitting there at the stoplight and I see the stoplight, but I don't see the heavens that are declaring the glory of God. I'm just not paying attention. But I think there may be something even more than that, that a little bit, perhaps we've lost our sense of wonder, right? Because 
On the one hand, we can look at this, this vast universe and know that for all of our scientific advancement, for all our technological discovery, we have but barely scratched the surface of all that there is to explore and discover in the universe. There is so much out there. And yet somehow, because we've figured out parts of it, somehow it's like we're not as in awe of it. It doesn't hold as much wonder for us. It's like we look at, at our ancestors and we say, well, of course they were in awe of it. They didn't understand it. They didn't know what they were looking at. So of course they had wonder about it. Of course it was kind of fearful to them. But shouldn't it kind of be the, the opposite of that? That the more we, we learn, the more we find out how enormously vast the universe is, how enormously complex and well-designed the universe is, the more that we learn about that, shouldn't that draw us more into praising God and being in wonder of what he's done? Because it's, it's, the, the universe is far more wondrous, wondrous than anything our ancestors could have known. From not just the vastness of space and all these galaxies, but the intricacy of ecosystems, the complexity of the individual cells that make up our body, even down to the atom itself that we're still trying to understand exactly how all that works. Like the universe is so much more wondrous and complex. How much more then should we respond to that with awe and wonder and say how magnificent our creator is? And what we see here in Psalm 19 is that part of the purpose of that creation is that it should draw us to want to know this God more, that we should see the wonder and the, the, the glory of God and be drawn to him, and to want to know what is this God about. And that's what you see David do. After he's meditated on just the wonder of creation, you see him begin to turn towards God and his ways. And he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. So David here has turned from meditating on the beauty of creation to now meditating on the beauty of the law and the ways that God has laid out for us. He says that when you look at the law, you see wisdom. You see that which rejoices the heart, that which brings joy that which is pure, that which is of great worth like gold, that which is sweet like honey. You know, I was thinking about how, how do we understand this? How do we see God's word and the ways he's laid out as good? So I want, I want to do a little thought exercise with you guys, okay? So I want, to, I want you to think back to the Ten Commandments, so this is sort of the, the summary in the Old Testament of God's moral law. And let's pick one of them. Thou shalt not steal. Okay? Now I want you to imagine for a second that you could know for certain 
that everyone on the planet would obey just that command, just that one. We're not gonna worry about the rest of them, just that one command, thou shalt not steal. I want you to imagine for a second how different the world would look. Think about how much you do every day that is geared toward preventing people from stealing from you. You lock your house, you lock your car. Your passwords that you have to try and remember on your computer, right? The firewall you have on your computer, the things that your bank has to do to try and make sure that you actually are who you are. Think about what corporations have to do and to try and stop their own employees from stealing from them, to stop intellectual property from being stolen. Think about everything we have to do with copywriting and, and making sure that people don't steal our intellectual ideas. Just everywhere you look, you see where this one area of sin has reverberated and caused destruction and, and all of these things we have to do just to protect ourselves from this one thing. Now multiply that times 10. And you start to get a sense of how good the ways of God are and how destructive it is when those things are not done. Like God has laid out this beautiful way of life in the scriptures, not because he hates us, but because he loves us and he wants us to step into life. Right, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. But I think it's interesting. You see David here, he's meditated on creation. Now he's gone and he's meditated on the ways of God. And then he turns that mirror inward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. And then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So after having reflect on God's law and how good it is and how wonderful it is, he goes, how can we even discern our errors? How do we even know that we have not messed up? And he, he goes on, he prays, he prays, Lord, please declare me innocent from hidden faults and keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. So presumptuous sins, these aren't the, the oops, I, wasn't, I didn't know and I did it. It's, hey, I looked at God's law and he said, don't do this, and then I went and did that. That's a presumptuous sin. And he's, he's even that, he's having to pray to God, says, keep me back from that. Let those things not have dominion over me. Like he is aware that, that his sin has the possibility of ruling over him. His, his meditation on, on God's law has led him to a place where he recognized, man, I can't even discern when I'm messing up. I need God to keep me back from my, my sins. I need God to keep me back from these things having dominion over me. I need God somehow to, to make me blameless, to make me innocent of great transgressions. And then there's this beautiful prayer, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. 
He has listened to the speech coming from creation. He's listened to the speech of God's word. And now he longs that his words would be something pleasing to God. And even more than that, that the very meditations of the heart and the inward being too would be something that God looks at and says, that's good and beautiful. And he ends, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He ends here calling on God to be his rock, to be his strength, and for God to be his redeemer. He recognizes out of all of this, a redeemer is needed, right? We need to have our eyes opened so that we can see creation and the beauty of it and not worship the creation, but instead turn and worship the creator. That we need our spiritual blindness removed so that when we look into the law of God and we see his ways, that we see that as something good and beautiful and something that we want to live into. And that we desperately need a way for us to be declared innocent and our faults to, to, to not have dominion over us and our sins to not have dominion over us. We desperately need that. And so he calls out for the Lord to be his rock and his redeemer. And what David saw from a distance, we now know that God did these things fully through the person of Jesus. Right? First is Jesus, who is the word through whom all things were made. John 1, he is the word who was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So when David says here that the heavens are declaring the glory of God and the sky is showing his handiwork, part of what he is celebrating there, he doesn't know it yet, but part of what he's celebrating there is the person and work of Jesus who was the word became flesh through whom everything was made, all of that vast heavens. But second, Jesus accomplished what the law could not do. As beautiful as God's law and ways are ultimately what those laws did is they pointed out our sin. They pointed out exactly what David is talking about here. Who can discern his errors? And boy, something needs to hold me back. Otherwise, my sin's gonna have dominion over us, right? Ultimately, what creation, if we recognize God is there and we see God's law, what it points to is, oh my goodness, we are so lost, we would listen to the speech of creation and know that there's a God there. We would listen to the speech of God's commands and, and know what God requires of us and recognize we can't do this. But Paul says in Romans 8, 3 about Jesus that he did what the law weakened by our sinful natures could not do because he lived the perfect life. He died a sinless death and he rose in perfect glory so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us because we needed a redeemer, God sent Jesus. And so now, when we see the creator in the midst of creation, when we look at creation and see how wondrous and powerful this God is, we can do that without having to fear. And so we then can join with David in saying, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day after day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. 
In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. When we read about God's ways in the law, and in particular in the life and person of Jesus, we will now see those things as something good and something beautiful and something that we want to live into. And so then we can, like David, say that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. And lastly, because of Jesus, when we do encounter our weakness, where we recognize our inability to discern our errors, when we recognize that there is sin seeking to have dominion over us, that no longer is a place of fear. But we now know that like David hears, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent of hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. And then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression, that we are indeed innocent of great transgression because Jesus has taken the penalty for our sin and therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so then we can turn with our thoughts and minds purified by the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and truly pray, let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have made yourself so visible the creation is constantly telling us about you Lord may we listen may we go each day stepping out our doors looking for how creation is praising you Lord thank you that you have been our rock and our redeemer Lord, we worship you, we praise you, and we are so grateful that you have given us new life in you. All these things we pray in your name. Amen.